What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney The larger than life journey of an 18-year-old college freshman who set out from his dorm room to track down Bill Gates, Lady Gaga, Steven Spielberg and dozens more of the world's most successful people to uncover how they broke through and launched their careers. This is the story of Alex Benayan and The Third Door. The Third Door takes readers on an unprecedented adventure, from hacking Warren Buffett's shareholders meeting, to chasing Larry King through a grocery store, to celebrating in a nightclub with Lady Gaga, as Alex Benayan travels from icon to icon decoding their successes. After remarkable one-on-one interviews with Maya Angelou, Steve Wozniak, Jessica Alba, Pitbull, Tim Ferriss, Quincy Jones, and many more, Alex discovered the one key they all had in common. They all took the third door. One of the newest sponsors of the podcast and one of my favorite brands right now is Viore Clothing. Viore is the perfect performance apparel for anyone who loves yoga, surfing, hiking, being active, or in the weight room. They combine innovative fabrics with cool finishes that really feel good and are great for the environment. I would head over to vioriclothing.com. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com to receive 25% off. Yes, that's 25% off your first order. Use discount code WGYT. And if at any point you're not satisfied with the purchase, send it back. That's 25% off your order with 100% satisfaction guaranteed at vioriclothing.com. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your nine to five job with no adventure? Do you want to connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. Alex, thanks for joining us on What Got You There. How are you doing today? I am great, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, of course. I I was one of the fortunate ones to receive your... Uh, your uncorrected proof of your book, and I absolutely loved it. We were talking about it on the pre-call and just how enjoyable the journey was for you. So I cannot wait for the listeners to hear your story uh, and hear more about this book. But I want to know, first of all, what was it like growing up an immigrant? So my parents came to America from Iran about 35 years ago. And, you know, when I was a kid... I just thought I was the weird one, you know, when I went to school, my lunches, all my friends had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and potato chips and granola bars and had this big Tupperware with 
you know, a mound of rice and green stew with red kidney beans on top. And, you know, you open the lid and the smell just explodes in the cafeteria and all the kids make fun of you. And I remember like my dad picking me up from school playing Persian music and I would get really embarrassed and like slam the door shut as fast as possible. Because when you're a kid, you're just so afraid of being seen as different and being made fun of. So growing up, I just always thought of it as this, you know, disadvantage. And also as a son of immigrants, and especially the son of Jewish immigrants, I pretty much came out of the womb and my mom cradled me in her arms and stamped MD on my ass and sent me on my way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's the... That's that was the path. It wasn't much of a question. And it wasn't until I got to college that I started to wonder, maybe I'm not on my path. Maybe I'm on a path somebody placed me on and I'm just rolling down. Man, I can only imagine some of the internal dialogues you're having when you're in middle school and high school and thinking that, hmm, my my thought processes are a little different here than what my family is expecting of me, huh? Yeah, but the funny thing is that when you're a kid and your parents and your grandparents are you know, giving you all this positive attention because, you know, I was wearing scrubs to school for Halloween. You just don't really question. You just keep going. And it wasn't until I finally was alone, you know, to myself in my college dorm room that I actually began to question things. So you mentioned sitting there in your dorm room, starting to question things. What, what are you actually questioning at this time? So in the beginning, it was simply just about, uh, I was on the right path because I remember I was the pre-med of pre-meds, but I would have this stack of biology books on my desk and I would look over at them and feel like they were sucking the life out of me. Hmm. So at first, that was my original question of whether this was my path or not, but eventually that began to evolve into how did all the people who I look up to, how did they figure out how to get started? How did Bill Gates sell his first piece of software out of his dorm room? How did Steven Spielberg become the youngest director in Hollywood history without a single hit to his name. Those are things they don't really teach you in school. So very naively, I thought, you know, there had to be a book that had these answers. So I went to the library and I went on Amazon and I just started buying all these business books and self-help books and I'm plowing through them and they're piling up in my dorm room. But eventually I'm left empty-handed. And that's when I you know, very naively think, well, if no one's written the book I'm dreaming of reading, why not just write it myself? You know, I thought it'd be really easy. I would just interview Bill Gates that summer. <laughs> interview oh, exactly. Else. Hey, Bill, what's going on? <laughs> exactly. I thought it'd take, you know, a couple months. I then put it all in a book and they'll help me and my friends and then I'll, I'll move on. That I thought would be the easy part. The hard part I figured was getting money to fund the journey. You know, I was buried in student loan debt. I was all out of bar mitzvah cash. So I had to <laughs> wait to make some money. And two nights before my freshman year final exams, I was sitting in the library doing what everyone does the night before finals. I was on Facebook. And on my news feed, I see someone offering tickets to The Price is Right. And my first thought is, what if I just go on the show and win some money to fund this dream? Yeah, naturally. <laughs> no, well, yeah, it wasn't my brightest moment, you know, because not only did I have finals in two days, I'd never seen a full episode of the show before. 
I'd seen, of course, bits and pieces growing up, but it wasn't until that moment that I thought, you know, what if I go on this show and try to win some money? And I remember telling myself it was a stupid idea, but for some reason, I couldn't get the thought out of my mind. So I ended up taking out my spiral notebook. I remember sitting at this small wooden round table in the library. I take out my spiral notebook and I write best and worst case scenarios to prove to myself it's a bad idea. You know, worst case scenarios. Fail finals. Get kicked out of pre-med. Lose financial aid. Mom hates me. No, <laughs> mom stops talking fat on TV. You know, there were 20 cons. The only pro was maybe, maybe win enough money to fund this dream. And it was almost as if someone had tied a rope around my gut and was pulling me in a direction. So that night, I decided to do the logical thing and, I'll, and to pull an all-nighter to study. But I didn't study for finals. I studied how to hack the prices right. <laughs> so, so I go on the show the next day and execute this ridiculous strategy to end up winning the entire showcase showdown, winning a sailboat, selling the sailboat, and that's why I funded the whole book. I mean, your entire process of, of hacking the prices right in the book, it's, it, I love how you <laughs> lay it out, and, and even just the logistics of how, of how you made it all happen, and then to actually win was just truly incredible. But I mean, you talk about that gut feeling. It was like you had a rope pulling you. I mean, when was that actual moment that's like, you know what, I, I'm going to study tonight, and it's going to be to how to hack this? I mean, because there are so many people who they might have an idea and they're too afraid to take that leap. But man, you did it. You know, what I've learned about those moments is that it wasn't because I had this, you know, natural instinct to be fearless. If anything, you know, all my friends joke about how I'm the most scared person in the friend group. Every time we go to a theme park, I'm always the one like sitting at the back of the roller coaster with my eyes closed, holding onto the railing. But in that moment, specifically in The Price is Right, what allowed me to take that leap and to make that decision wasn't a lack of fear, but rather the opposite. It was an incredibly large amount of desire. This dream to go, go on this minute and to make this book a reality was so powerful, it overpowered my intense amount of fear. And I think sometimes the biggest difference between the people who are able to jump out of line and run down the alley and their dreams come true has less to do with the fact that they're fearless and more to do with the fact that they fully and clearly see their goal and they've turned up the volume on that goal and made it so big and so juicy that no amount of fear can hold them back. There's this great Tony Robbins exercise where he says, you know, if I asked you to go run into a burning building for five bucks, would you do it? I don't know. What would, what would be your answer? Absolutely not. <laughs> right? Yeah. But then he says, if I told you your child is in that building, would you go? Absolutely. Right? So everything changes based on what the outcome is. 
even the scariest thing, like running into a burning building, becomes a no-brainer with the right results. So with the price is right, of course I was scared. And with all the other moments on this journey, of course I was scared. But the idea of making this dream come true was so powerful to me that I still move forward anyways. And the practical takeaway is that when you're trying to achieve a dream, turn up the volume on the goal so loud that it overpowers all the voices in your head. As you talk about this, I, I can't help but think about your grandfather and making dreams come true. And I would love you tell the listeners just the story of your grandfather from a young age and what he did and what he accomplished. Because I mean, I was absolutely blown away when I heard about this. My grandpa was born in Iran about 90 years ago. He's still alive. He's My grandpa's about 91. And he was born to a family of, you know, a mother and a father, an older brother, and four older sisters. So he was the youngest. When my grandpa was about five years old, his father passed away. And in Iran at that time, women weren't really allowed in the workforce. So it was up to the older brother to help make ends meet. Three years after that, the older brother passes away. So now my grandpa is the only one in the family who can work. But thankfully, he had a very wise mother who told him, stay in school and get your education. And she just sold things to make ends meet. She sold her wedding ring. She sold, you know, the vase and the furniture. And she just, you know, scrapped together enough money to put food on the table. But when my grandpa was about around 10 years old, he realized this wasn't sustainable and he needed to start making money. So he was going through the newspaper one day and in the classified section, he saw an advertisement from the government saying they needed a painter. So my grandpa submitted a bid, you know, filled out an order form, had no idea what he was doing. I think he was, um, he was apprenticing or interning for a shopkeeper at the time. So he sort of just looked at the shopkeeper's order forms and just sort of copied the way he wrote it. <laughs> so this, so this 10 year old just submits this form and because he has no idea what he's doing, he puts such a low bid that he actually gets the order. <laughs> so the government gives him the order and now my grandpa has to go to the, the marketplace and find some paint thinner. And he finds this family friend who has paint thinner. My grandpa gets the paint thinner, gives it to the government, gets a little profit, and couldn't be happier. A short time later, my grandpa is in class, and he was in his geometry class in, a, uh, in elementary school or middle school. And the police show up, and they pull him out of class and tell him, you sold us expired paint thinner. And if you don't, if you don't fix this, you're going to have a big problem on your hands. You know, this is the Middle East. This isn't, <laughs> you know, this isn't America I, I, can, I can only imagine. <laughs> this is the Middle East 80 years ago. So my grandpa freaks out, goes back to the family friend, says, hey, the paint thing you gave me was expired. And he goes, that's your problem, not mine. So now here's this 10-year-old Jewish boy in the, in the Tehran Bazaar trying to search for paint thinner. He ends up finding another merchant, using his profits to buy the paint thinner, gives it to the government, and still manages to make a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of profit. 
<laughs> so that sets him off on this journey of becoming an entrepreneur while at the same time continuing his education. He ends up getting his PhD in chemistry and starts a company and eventually by age 50 is one of the wealthier Jews in Iran. But right around then, the Iranian revolution happens. And because of my grandpa's religion, he is the Islamic guard breaks into his office, runs up the stairs, puts a bag over his head and essentially kidnaps him at gunpoint and takes him to a compound to be held and executed. And I've actually asked my grandpa what the scariest moment of his life was, and he didn't even flinch. He's like, oh, definitely when I was at that compound, because he would just hear gunfire every day, and the people he was being imprisoned with wouldn't return back to the room, and he put one and two together and figured out what was happening. So my grandpa ends up finding a way to escape out of this essentially execution camp, comes to America as a refugee and is back where he was as a kid with nothing. And he has to rebuild his life, and thankfully he's done that quite well. So that story is a story to me, a possibility, but the craziest part about it is I was never told this story as a kid. It wasn't until I was in the late stages of writing my own book where I found out this story. And I think the reason why is because my family never wanted me to have an understanding of the hardships they went through. Um, my parents did a great job of almost raising me in this bubble of thinking, you know, everything in family's history was nice and normal, but I actually find a lot of power in that story. I mean, I think there's tremendous power. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so when, when you when you are older and you actually hear that story and you, and you pull power from that, I mean, does that change a lot of your views, both on, on life and business and, and how you conduct yourself? It changed the way I view myself in the sense of it helped me understand that my instincts, you know, I always thought I was the black sheep of my family. My grandparents, my, you know, my two, on my mom's side, my two uncles are a doctor and a dentist. On my mom's side, my mom's an attorney and my aunt's an attorney. So they all have these professional degrees, um, and I just couldn't get myself to sit in any of these classes and pay attention and not enough to study. But the funniest thing was I would be studying, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk keynotes and reading Tim Ferriss books with the ferociousness of all these other kids who were studying their pre-med textbooks. So I just thought there was a problem with me. And the powerful thing about hearing my grandpa's story for the first time when I was about, you know, 20 years old was realizing that. In a way, this has always been in my blood. I just never knew it. It's just such a tremendous story and, and, and hearing that impact, even though it was late in your life, uh, it's it just cool to hear about. So I really wanted the listeners to hear that one. So now I'm curious though, 18, you end up winning the prices right. 
you have your aspirations of writing this book. What's next? What's the following step for you? So it was starting to get interviews. And to my surprise, it was a lot harder than I had thought. You know, apparently Bill Gates doesn't, you know, do interviews with 18-year-old college freshmen all the time. So <laughs> it took two years to get to Bill Gates. It took three years to get to Lady Gaga. And the way these interviews came to be were all many adventures in their own right. With Larry King, I chased him through a grocery store. With Warren Buffett, I had to hack his shareholders meeting. So each one is its own story in and of itself. And it's been this unbelievable journey full of surprising lessons the whole way through. Is there one interview or one person that just taught you more than you would ever think during this journey? It was with Quincy Jones. Really? And I think a lot of it has to do with with Bill Gates, you know, it was an incredible interview and he taught me some things. But I had the guy's face literally taped above my bed for two years <laughs> and taped above my desk and taped on my car dashboard. It's pretty hard for someone to reach that expectation yeah, <laughs> when I'm you sure. meet him. <laughs> you know, no one, no one is that wise that they will, you know, surprise you after you've been idolizing them for two years like that. <laughs> Whereas with Quincy Jones, I of course admired him, but I I didn't I didn't have this picture taped above my bed the way I did with Bill Gates. So when I went on with Quincy Jones, it was fairly quickly when I realized, although I had researched him, I had no idea his depth. You know, I of course, knew that he was the most Grammy-nominated producer in history, that he, you know, in the world of television, created The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. In the world of film, he produced The Color Purple with Steven Spielberg. He's worked with Frank Sinatra and Michael Jackson. and You know, no one comes close to the impact he's made in entertainment in the past you know, 50 to 100 years. But that, I realized, wasn't even close to what made him so special. And the reason he, you know, Quincy Jones has this way of almost looking in you, seeing what's hurting you and reaching his hand into your soul and, you know, rewiring the circuitry. Hmm. And I had just met him after going through you know, what felt like dozens and dozens of embarrassing failures with, you know, you read the book with my meeting with Mark Zuckerberg, with how I handled the Buffett situation. So I go into Quincy Jones just feeling completely depleted and beaten and trodden. And Quincy starts telling me this story. This is about halfway through our interview. And he's telling me the story of when he was younger how the music industry was all mafia. And Quincy was doing a big composition for a really famous musician, and it was time to get the publishing. So Quincy goes into the music executive's office, and the music executive was, of course, all mafia. And standing behind the executive is all the mafia cronies. And the executive pretty much tells Quincy, look, you can ask for whatever you want but you're only getting 1%. And he, 
essentially intimidated and threatened Quincy into signing this horrendous deal. And Quincy starts laughing, saying, oh, man, the mafia took all my shit. And uncontrollably, I just yell, that's fucked up. And we were both surprised by how triggered I was by that. And only in hindsight can I see that I was triggered by all of my baggage from the past five years of feeling like people were you know, messing with me and taking advantage of me and holding my dream back. And Quincy, you know, moves on and talks about the mafia a bit more. And he's like, man, I'm still working on trying to get my shit back. <laughs> Quincy's laughing. So I'm, I'm just like, that ain't right. And I'm just so angry. And he looks at me and he finally understands what's happening. And he like puts a hand on my shoulder and he's like, relax, man. That's how you learn. And it was almost as if I was this overinflated tiger and he had released the air pressure valve and all this excess air was rushing out of me. And in that moment, something clicked within me and Quincy looked at me and was like, you need to cherish your mistakes. Because what he was teaching me is that when you make mistakes, and you hate them, and you avoid them, and you're ashamed of them, and you bottle them up, and you pretend they don't happen. They turn into baggage. But if you cherish your mistakes and treat your mistakes as your friend and your ally, only then can you learn from them, and only then can you grow. Do you think your writing changed a tremendous amount after that meeting with Quincy? Or I guess the writing process? Yeah, absolutely. What Quincy showed me, and you know, in the third book, in the third door, as you know, a ton of the stories end in me just falling flat on my face. <laughs> and what I've learned is that while it was very hard to write them, like incredibly, incredibly painful in some cases, it's how I learn the most. It's how the reader learns the most. Yeah, I think too many times in the success stories or, or the business book, you, you never hear about the true failures. And I mean, time and time again, right. throughout the seven year journey for you, it's, I mean, it, it lets the reader identify and say, you know what, I've had some serious failures in my life too, but here you set out on your goals and, and you accomplished that. And I mean, you titled the book, The Third Door. Why did you title it that? When I started this journey, I was pretty adamant that I wasn't going to go out and look for this quote unquote one key to success. You know, we've all seen those TED Talks. There's all those business books with the, you know, the five keys to success, the one key to success. And I just sort of roll my eyes because I don't really believe in that. But about, you know, 70% into my journey after doing these interviews, I started realizing all the people I interviewed treat life and business, and success in the exact same way. And the analogy that came to me is that it's sort of like a nightclub. There's always three ways in. There's the first door, the main entrance, where the line curves around the block. And that's where 99% of people wait in line hoping to get in. And then there's the second door, the VIP entrance, where the billionaires and the celebrities go through. 
in school and society have this way of making us feel like those are the only two ways in. You either wait your turn like everybody else or you're born into it. But what I've learned is that there's always, always the third door. And it's the door where you jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen. There's always a way in. And it doesn't matter if that's how Gates sold his first piece of software or how Lady Gaga got her first record deal. They all took the third door. So that's not only the thesis of the book, that's the title. And that's also the energy that I'm trying to inject into the next generation. I mean, I have to assume after going through this process, writing this book, that you view problems completely differently than in the past, don't you? Yeah, because what the third door analogy does is it changes your mindset. And the great, one of the greatest gifts this whole journey has given me is that whole mindset of possibility. And what I've learned is that when you change what someone believes is possible, you change what becomes possible. And there's no greater gift for that. What takeaway do you want the, the readers of this book to really walk away with? There's always a way. And it doesn't matter if you're reading the story of how Spielberg snuck onto the lot at Universal <laughs> Studios and became the youngest director in history, or if you're reading the stories of how Warren Buffett, when he was 20 years old, was able to get meetings when nobody knew his name, or if you're reading the stories of you know, Jane Goodall going to Africa and studying the chimps, or if you're reading, you know, my, you know, my crazy stories of the price is right and hacking Buffett shareholders meeting, the common theme that's unspoken, but is tying together every single story in this book is there's always a way. I love that. I mean, and, and you dedicate this book to three people, your mom, your dad, and then Cal Fussman. Why did you dedicate right. this to him as well? What Cal did so to give people some context, when I was interviewing Larry King, one of the first things Larry did for me was he introduced me to one of his closest friends, Cal Fussman. And Cal's been a writer for Esquire magazine for decades with their famous What I've Learned column. Cal's a two-time New York Times bestselling author, an incredible keynote speaker, one of the best interviewers in the world. And Cal, very early on, for reasons I still have trouble understanding, was just unbelievably generous in helping me learn how to write. Because I met Cal right at the stage when I was had enough interviews where it was time for me to start writing the actual book. And I would write a chapter and sit down with Cal over coffee and ask him his thoughts and the patience he had and the commitment he had to help me with draft after draft after draft. You know, I would write something, Cal would look at it and shake his head and say, rewrite it. I would go and rewrite it. It was almost like Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off. And the gift he gave me, you know, money can't buy. He not only was one of the greatest mentors in my life, he, he became like family. Which is why the book's dedicated to him as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you, can, you can truly tell just the tremendous impact he had, and it, it's interesting. So here you're going into this meeting with Larry King, one of the all-time legends, but you end up walking away with someone completely different who becomes a lifelong friend for you. 
And it, there's almost an underlying theme in that, that you, the people you'll meet, you, you never know where you're going to meet them or what type of impact you'll have on, the, or they'll have on you. So I, I love hearing that story about Cal. I mean, so you've spent- Thanks, man. He's incredible. Yeah, no, unbelievable storyteller, unbelievable interview. So the people who aren't familiar with Cal will definitely have to check out his work. So, I mean, you put seven years of work into this. What's, what's going to be next for you? When I started this mission, it was never with the hope of, hey, I just, I want to be an, an author and write a book. The original idea was never about a book as much as it was about a larger idea that I believe if all these people come together, not for press, not to promote anything, but really just to share their best wisdom with the next generation, young people can do so much more. And the book coming out is really the first step in that process. You know, my ultimate dream is that in 10 or 15 years, you know, maybe you run into a kid who's, you know, 13 years old and they're like, oh, I just got this internship at Google. And you're like, what, what the hell? 13 years old, how did you do that? And they go, oh, I, I just took the third door. That's the ultimate dream. And that's what I'm working towards. Absolutely love that. Man, Alex, I, I can't thank you enough, both for joining us on this podcast and also writing this book. Uh, like I mentioned many times, I absolutely loved it. Definitely recommend the listeners pick it up. Where should we direct them to stay connected with you though? So the best ways to stay connected is the book website is thirddoorbook.com and it's spelled T-H-I-R-D, thirddoorbook.com. You know, the book is also on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. And, you know, my personal social media is all at Alex Benayan. So A-L-E-X-B-A-N-A-Y-A-N on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. We're going to have all that linked up in the show notes and, and best of luck with everything you have going on, Alex. Can't thank you enough for joining us. I appreciate it so much. And thank you again for such a fun conversation, man. Looking to freshen up your wardrobe for the summer season? Having trouble finding a brand whose products are functionally built to move and sweat in, but designed with a casual aesthetic aimed at everyday life? Then Viore is the clothing brand you've been looking for. Viore merges technical clothing with a West Coast vibe that looks and fits great. Viore's motto is built to move in, styled for life. They have a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore has incorporated innovative fabrics that feature anti-odor finishes, moisture wicking, and quick dry finishes. My favorite being Sea Cell, which is a sustainably sourced fiber that uses a blend of algae and wood pulp to create the most comfortable shirts you've ever felt. They really are. They're incredible. They're also anti-odor and filled with vitamins and nutrients that are released when you sweat. To receive 25% off, yes, that's 25% off your order, head to vioriclothing.com. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com and use discount code W-G-Y-T. If at any point you're unsatisfied with your purchase, send it back. That's 25% off your entire order with a 100% satisfaction guaranteed. VioriClothing.com, discount code WGYT for 25% off your order. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your nine to five job with no adventure? Do you wanna connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. 
Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, What got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, What got you there with got you, got you... Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.